if you didn't, I'm going to assume you're not. All right, cool. So everybody raise their hand. All right, so here's the deal. The majority of this message is for you. For those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're not ready for that, please, I don't want you to check out necessarily. I just also don't want you to feel salty when I start coming at people because I ain't coming at you. I'm coming at God's people, right? I was, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to preach fire tonight, but it's the kind that the lights under you, not the one that comes over you, right? Like, I want you guys to really feel what I believe God is trying to say. Uh, last week, we started this series uh, called Mission Minded and talking about the mission that God has for us personally, corporately, as a ministry. What's the whole point of coming here every week? What is God wanting us to do as a youth ministry? Because we want to make sure you understand this is not Pastor Joey's youth ministry. This isn't the leader's youth ministry. We're not youth anymore. It's a long time since I was a youth, okay? This is your ministry. And youth ministry is not youth ministry unless the youth are ministering. And so this is in your hands, and we want to equip you to do the ministry that God has called you to do, to accomplish the mission that God has for your lives. And so last week, we talked about the importance of character when it comes to mission and making sure that you're living a life that's worthy of the gospel. And, and I want to jump in a little bit more today as we talk about the mission. And, and real quick, I'll get into a deeper aspect of this, but just to be open about what I mean when I say the mission. Our mission is the gospel. The gospel is good news, and the good news is what we celebrated this past weekend on Easter, that Jesus Christ sacrificed, he came on earth as a man, fully man, fully God, gave his life as a perfect offering for your sins in order to wipe them away, and that now we can have a relationship with God and be united with him in Jesus' name, all right? So that's the essential of the gospel. It's good news that you are saved. It's good news that you can have a relationship with God. And so part of what Jesus was saying is now that this is available, your responsibility is to tell people about it, right? It's, it's already there. It's like, I don't know if you know this, but one of the best industries in the world are gift cards. People buy gift cards and give them as presents for all types of situations. And the reason it makes so much money is because people have these cards with $20, $30, $50 on them. And quite honestly, they never use them. So the company gets all the money because they know most people aren't going to go cash in the gift card. And so right now we have these gift cards that we need to cash in, that we need to tell people about. It's already covered. It's already paid. We just need to make sure we give them that message. That's the mission that God has for each individual believer. But let me kind of segue into a different analogy uh, because I want to use that in order to talk about today's specific topic. Uh, growing up, especially around like 15, 16, I got like really into Law and Order SVU. Uh, uh, you know, just Law and Order SVU, if, if you don't know what it is, it was a show on NBC, and it was all about like catching criminals and, and the law and the court and all this stuff, and I was fascinated by it. I always love like anything like murder mystery or criminals, or I just watched like a whole documentary on a serial killer the other day. Like I just find some of these things interesting, right? Say what you want about me. But uh, I was looking at that, and I always liked the idea of the court. As a matter of fact, I remember even as a teenager going and watching court trials just to kind of see what it's really like in real life. And for those of you who don't follow that stuff, you got to understand in the court, there are different roles for different people. Just like in life, we all have different roles. And you have a position in court in real life. Let, let me kind of break it down for you like this. In court, you have the judge. The judge's responsibility is to keep order and to make final judgment on the proceedings. You are not the judge, right? We talked about it a few weeks ago and what it looks like to judge. You are not the judge. God is the judge, okay? 
You also have what we call the prosecutor. The prosecutor is the lawyer who's bringing the, the criminal charges against the defendant, the person who's on trial. The prosecutor's whole job is to convict that person to make sure that they go to jail or worse. You are not the prosecutor. Although sometimes we act like the prosecutor. Sometimes we want to condemn people and we want to make people feel bad. But you're not the prosecutor. The Bible says the enemy, the devil, is the prosecutor. Another word for him in the Bible is the accuser. He's the one that accuses you of your sin that says you're not worthy of a relationship with God. You don't deserve heaven. And so he points a finger and he accuses you. That's the prosecutor. You also have the defendant. The defendant is the other lawyer. The defendant is the one who is defending the person being accused. You are not the defendant. We're not strong enough. We're not good enough. I mean, if some of you got in trouble with the law, God forbid you ever tried to be your own lawyer, right? Your Honor, um, them charges per se that you try to bring up, um, they are extaculatory, Your Honor, and uh, it's not um, equated, Your Honor. It's like, dude, you are so in jail, right? You're, you're, you're not the defendant. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the defendant. Jesus Christ is the mediator. Jesus Christ is the one who stood between you and death and said, no, I'll pay the price for them. They don't have to go through this. He is your defender. He is the one that goes before you and that makes a way for you. As a matter of fact, if you're a Christian, you're not even the accused, because you've already been acquitted if you're a Christian. In other words, you've already gone through this process. Jesus defended you and won. No, no, the accused are those who have yet to make a decision to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The accused are the ones that we are on a mission to connect with, that it is our responsibility to help. No, no, you only have one job in court. And it's not the stenographer, by the way, which is the person that sits there typing really, really fast. I know some of you want to be the stenographer. You want to keep record of everybody's wrongs, but that's not your job. No, your job, your one and only job. You ever said that to somebody? Come on, man, you had one job. You got one job. You're the witness. You're the star witness. You're the witness that can make this whole case possible. But you got to play your role. Let me tell you why I mean by this, all right? Because this is a responsibility we have to be a witness. And it's a responsibility that started when Jesus established his first disciples and has gone through generations after generations, thousands of years being passed down to you as a disciple of Jesus Christ today. If you have your Bibles, it's in Acts chapter 10, verse 39 through 43. This is just after the disciples are baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the whole reason for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be a witness. And so they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them, hey, listen, I got a mission for you. I got a job for you. But you need to wait for the help of the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then you will have power to accomplish that mission. So they're in the upper room. They're praying. Suddenly the Holy Spirit comes in like a rushing wind. They're filled with the Spirit. They are empowered to do something. So what do they do? They go outside and they start being witnesses. They start preaching the gospel. And it says, and we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem, talking about Jesus. 
They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God has chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all the living and the dead. Let me read that sentence again because it's important for you to understand. We are called to be witness. He ordered us. He didn't ask you. He didn't suggest to you. This is a direct commandment from Jesus. He ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. In a nutshell, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That Jesus Christ, like they said, was hanged on a cross, raised to life on the third day, and is alive now. He paid the penalty for sin, and now our responsibility, our charge, our command by our commandor is to go and tell people about Jesus, to testify and to be a witness to what you and I have experienced in our relationship with Jesus. Here's the important thing when it comes to being a witness, okay? Being a witness doesn't mean you're an expert. You don't have to be an expert in the Bible to be an effective witness. You don't have to have a, a divinity degree. You don't have to be a Christian for 50 years to be a witness. You just have to be able to communicate what you've experienced, right? If something, I don't know, if maybe you're a witness to a car accident, and they come over and they say, hey, what did you see? We don't need you to be an expert on cars. I don't need you to be a mechanic. I don't need you to be like, yo, well, you know, the tire, it was going in, um, Quadroplegic. Uh, it's like, stop being a mechanic and a lawyer. You're neither of them, okay? What happened? Oh, he was making a left turn where he wasn't supposed to and he got hit. Bam, that's all I need to know. And your testimony will back, be backed up by the facts. And so the beauty of being a witness is all you got to do is tell your story, whatever your story is. Some of us think, well, you know, I, I don't have like a crazy story. Like I wasn't in gangs and I wasn't a drug addict. And man, who cares what's your story? Because your story is going to relate to somebody else. Somebody's lived a life similar to yours. Somebody's been or is going through what you've gone through. Even those of you who you grew up in church and you've been in this perfect bubble and you've never seen your Jesus 2.0 and you've been walking around and, and you got nothing bad in your life. Hey, that's a testimony to the goodness of God keeping you in your life. You didn't have to experience all those things. That's great. Be a witness to that. The point, though, is you got to be willing to share what you've experienced. The only way that a witness is ineffective is if they're unable to do that very thing. And I think there's about three reasons, maybe four reasons, that I've come up with on what would make you a bad witness. What would hurt? your witness, and your effectiveness in doing the very thing that God has called you to do. And if you're taking notes, you want to write this down with me. Number one, witness intimidation. Witness intimidation. This is something that happens in real life. Um, oftentimes, court cases hang on the balance with a person's testimony, with one witness. And so let's say that individual who is uh, on trial, who's getting ready to go to jail, and, uh, and you're the star witness that's going to put them away, they might try to intimidate you. They might try to threaten you. They might try to say, if you testify, if you're a witness on the stand, we'll kill you or we'll run over your pet or we'll whatever. Like, they may try to threaten you in order to get you to not be a witness. 
Sometimes it's not even an outside threat. A lot of times it's your own intimidation. A lot of uh, people who have been victims of sexual assault have a very difficult time testifying on trial because they don't want to face the person that hurt them. And that's very understandable. There's an intimidation that prevents them from being a witness and actually getting justice on the very person that hurt them. And that's the sad part. A lot of us struggle with being the witness that God called us to be because we're intimidated by doing that. We're nervous about sharing our story. We're worried about what people might think or what they might say. We're worried that they might laugh at us. We're worried that they'll say no to us. We're worried that we're going to put ourselves out there and we're going to look stupid. We're worried that they're going to ask us a question and we're not going to have an answer to it. And all these intimidations start to pile up and it results in the worst thing possible, your silence. And that's all the enemy has to do. It doesn't have to kill you. It just has to keep you quiet. Because if you're quiet, you're just as ineffective as if you're dead. And so here, this witness intimidation is a tactic that the enemy tries to use. He tries to whisper in your ear, no one's going to believe you. They're going to laugh at you. They're not going to understand. Everybody's going to think you're this holy thing, and they're going to throw it in your face, and people are going to call you a hypocrite, and la-da-da-da-da. But listen, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. This is the apostle Paul talking. He says, for I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. What is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to be intimidated and shut up when God has called me to be a witness because I know the power of the gospel. I understand that the gospel has the ability to set people free from condemnation, from addiction, from, from suicidal thoughts, from depression, from scars of abuse. I know that the gospel has the power to make a broken person whole. I know that. So why am I worried about what they might say? I'm more concerned with what they may do with their life. I am a witness. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Listen, some of us, and we wouldn't say it like that, you're embarrassed of the gospel. You're embarrassed of what God's done in your life. Because if you weren't embarrassed, you would share it. And if you're unwilling to share it because you're worried about what people say, then you're embarrassed. Imagine uh, the, the dream boy or the dream girl finally takes interest in you and, and, you know, wants to be your boyfriend, wants to be your girlfriend, and they're like, yeah, yeah, but I want to be your secret girlfriend. I want to be your secret boyfriend. What, what, what does that mean? That means no one could ever know about this, and if you ever say anything, I will deny it to your face. Now, some of you be dumb enough to be like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but as you gain self-respect, you start to understand, I don't want a secret relationship. If you're unwilling to settle for a secret relationship, why would the Lord? Not to mention, this relationship is not like a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Like Paul said, this relationship, this good news, this gospel has this power to accomplish what we could never accomplish. And so you're sitting there and your friend is telling you, about their depression. They're telling you that they don't want to live anymore. They're telling you that they're really struggling. And you have the answer, but instead you say, 
Oh, man. Hey, listen, if you need anything, call me. Well, what if they called you and said, I need the thing you got? I'm not saying you got to convince them. And I'm not saying that you got to sit there and, hey, we're going to do this prayer right here, right now. But what you do owe them is your testimony. What you do owe them is to be a witness. The witness is not the judge, right? The witness doesn't convict, doesn't condemn, doesn't let go. The witness just shares the story. Don't allow the fear of what might happen overshadow the possibilities of what can happen when you're willing to share your faith. I've shared this story a million times, but I think about it all the time. Uh, I remember, and some of you might knew, you might remember this, uh, or might never heard this, but I remember I had a buddy in high school, ugly as ugly can be. I mean, this man was not attractive. And... Um, and on top of that, he had the worst smelling breath that I've ever smelled in my life. Only one of our friends could talk to him face to face, and that's because he couldn't smell, okay? That's how bad, that, but this dude always had beautiful girlfriends. Always had a good looking girl on his arm. And I, was, I would sit there and be like, I don't know how you do this, bro. Like, I really, I really want to, like, I'm a good guy, and I'm forever alone. How do you always, and then one day, I hung out with him. You know what his secret was? He asked out every single girl he ever came across. Anybody. He, just, he asked out anybody. Any of you who ever takes statistics, you're going to find out. Eventually, someone's going to say yes. <laughs> I saw some of the dudes taking notes. Someone might say yes. That's a good point, Pastor. Amen. Someone, someone may say yes. Ask out everyone. That's not what I said. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't write that down. What I'm saying is, if you're willing to share your faith enough times, you might be surprised at how many people actually say yes. You may be surprised at how much of that intimidation was just your imagination and not the reality. Second thing when it comes to witness, it's not just witness intimidation, but it's witness tampering. Witness tampering is almost like witness intimidation, but it's a little bit different when it comes to court. Witness tampering is you're actually interfering with an individual's ability to show up and testify in court. As a matter of fact, the definition of witness tampering occurs when someone attempts to cause a person to testify falsely, withhold testimony or information, or be absent from any proceeding to which the witness has been summoned. In other words, it is actual interference in your ability to share what God has done in your life. Oftentimes, this is where the devil will come in. This is where the enemy comes in, where you have these opportunities and then something gets in the way, right? You ask your friend if they're willing to come to church and they say yes, and then the day you're going to pick them up, they're like, oh, you know what? I just realized I had a lot of homework and I'm not going to be able to make it tonight. Witness tampering. Oh, you know, uh, I'm getting ready to go, and, and I'm going to talk to my friend about this stuff. And then last second, you know, my mom yells at me because I didn't do the dishes. And, and you're just in there like, man, that's the devil. Also, you're lazy, but mostly the devil. Witness tampering. The only reason I say that it's witness tampering is because oftentimes when something gets in the way of an opportunity that you thought was open, rather than trying again, we kind of go, eh, I tried. You give up. God has called us to a relentless pursuit. Listen, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 through 8. For the spirit of God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Often witness tampering is the fear of what might happen to us if we witness to people. 
It's the fear that suddenly your friends won't want to talk to you anymore or won't want to hang out with you. It's the fear that if you come out and let people know that you're a Christian, they'll stop inviting you to the parties and they'll stop hitting you up on the line and they'll stop bringing you into their crew and you start to worry about the ramifications of your witnessing and what it might cost you. Here, Paul is literally talking in jail. He's writing this letter while he's in shackles, while he's in prison, and he's telling them, guys, I'm not ashamed even though I'm in prison. I'm a still preach the gospel. He's talking to a group of people who at this time, when he's speaking to them, it's literally their lives on the line if they continue to preach. Many of these Christians oftentimes, as a matter of fact, were used as light posts. They were tied to the poles on the streets and set on fire just because they were Christians. This really cost them something. Your worst case scenario is somebody laughs at you. Your worst case scenario is somebody doesn't want to talk to you anymore. And you're not even willing to risk that. You've allowed somebody to tamper with your witness. And God is saying, no, you can't do that. You got to go beyond that. Third thing is this, witness credibility. Oftentimes, an opposite lawyer or the prosecutor will try to dismantle the witness's credibility. They'll say, hey, this isn't a reliable witness. They were blah, blah, blah. They'll start throwing their past in their face, and they'll start saying this and, and that about it. And the, the, what they're trying to do is they're trying to convince the jury, don't believe this person. They're not credible. Oftentimes, our witness is damaged because the life that we live doesn't line up with the words that we say. And, and we try to tell people about Jesus, and they stop, and they look at you and go, you're a Christian? You're like, Yeah. And suddenly in their mind, they're thinking, I've seen you do a lot of not Christian things. I see you talk in a way that Christians aren't supposed to talk. I've seen you act in ways that Christians aren't supposed to act. I've seen you treat ladies and treat gentlemen the way Christians aren't supposed to treat them. I'm confused. And as a matter of fact, I don't want to listen to you. Your witness is no longer credible because your lifestyle doesn't line up with it. Listen, I understand that for some of us, this is a difficult thing, and it's the reason why we don't share our testimony, because we're worried that people will see the hypocrisy in our life. Here's what I would say to that. Testify anyways, and keep working on getting better. Hey, listen, I'm not a perfect Christian, and I'll tell you right now, there are no perfect Christians, but I will tell you this. This is what God's done in my life and what he's continuing to do. I am a work in progress. Be honest, be transparent. Let people know, listen, I'm, God's still working on me too. I'm not perfect, but I'll tell you this, I'm way different than where I was. I remember listening to this speaker, probably one of the best speakers I ever heard in my life. And uh, he's an expert on speaking on the topic of homosexuality. He was in that lifestyle. He actually lived as a woman for two years. And incredible testimony, incredible story. But when he preached, he sounded like there was a lot of sugar in the tank. And I was like, and he even said it one time as he was talking. And I know a lot of you, you're hearing my testimony and you're thinking, are you sure God changed your life? And he goes, honey, I'm a lumberjack compared to how I used to be. And I just started cracking up. I'm like, that's dope. I like the way he said that. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, sometimes you see things and you think, well, you don't have it all together. The reality is none of us do. That shouldn't stop you from being a witness. But that should encourage you to live a life worthy of the gospel. Number four. Some of us, our issue with being a witness or the thing that damages us is that you're a hostile witness. Hostile witnesses are an interesting thing. In court, 
<laughs> lawyers, you know, they're the ones who bring the witnesses up. A hostile witness is one that the lawyer actually brings up and they don't want to answer that lawyer's questions. It's like you're my witness and you're not cooperating, right? Part of it is because sometimes people don't want to testify. They're subpoenaed. In other words, the court demands them to testify. And so a lot of times they make it difficult and they don't want to open up and they don't want to share. They call that a hostile witness. Some of us in this room are hostile witnesses. God has called you to be a witness, and it's not that you can, it's not that you're nervous, it's that you flat out refuse. I'm just not gonna do it. I know I should, I know I can, and God will help me, but I'm not gonna do it. You're hostile towards God. This one to me is probably the worst one because a hostile witness really doesn't have many excuses. It's just, you don't want to do it. There's a story in the Bible, maybe you heard it growing up about Jonah, uh, Jonah and the whale, right? Jonah is this prophet that God sent to this area called Nineveh. And he says, hey, I want you to warn them about all the horrible sin they're doing in that town. Jonah doesn't want to do it. Why? Because Jonah was pretty racist and he hated Nineveh and he wanted God to judge Nineveh. He wanted the people to die. And so if you read the story, he gets swallowed up by a fish for three days and the whale spits him out. And Jonah's like, all right, I'll go do it. But if you keep reading the story, Jonah goes and he testifies and God's ready to bring judgment on them. But the Bible says that the people of Nineveh turned their hearts back towards God and got right with God. And so because of that, God showed mercy on Nineveh. And you know what? Jonah was super angry about it. Jonah was mad at God. Because Jonah thought God was going to kill Nineveh. Some of us are hostile towards God. I don't want to do it. Why? Because I don't like that person. I hope they go to hell. I don't want to talk to that person. Why? Because I don't care enough. It's not important to me enough to get out of my comfort zone. It's not important for me enough to share my faith. Let them do what they're going to do. They can go to hell if they want to. That's between them and whatever. I'm not going to get in the middle of it. To me... That's worse because you'd rather watch a person die and go to hell than at least give them an opportunity to say yes. To get out of your own head, to get over yourself. I love there's this verse in the Bible that says, if you think that you're that important, think again, you're not that important. Some of us just, your pride gets in the way of doing what God has called you to do. You're a hostile witness. And when God encounters hostility like that, Trust me, he doesn't treat you kindly. He comes against it. Oftentimes we call that pride and God begins to break down that pride. Think about this. What is it honestly gonna cost you to share your story, to say, hey, listen, I was at church yesterday and uh, man, the pastor was speaking and something that he said, God just began to ring in my heart and I just felt this deep understanding and I just wanna share that with you. What'd that cost you, 10 minutes? Some of you had these incredible encounters with God where you were crying and boogers are coming out of your nose and, and God is transforming you and you're like, I'm never the same. This is amazing. And you never told anybody about it. And yet we hear four or five times about some dumb TikTok video you saw. I said, I don't care about that. I care about that life transforming, incredible thing that God did. Oh yeah, that was just a breakaway. We didn't even have breakaway in like two years. It's not a big deal. Listen. You owe it to the people in your life to at least testify, to at least share your story. And here's where I want to start to close. Pastor Jason, if you can help me out a little bit. 
And I know it's early, but I got like 10 minutes worth of something that I want you to see. Oftentimes we're, we're nervous about this sharing our testimony part. Because quite frankly, speaking, especially public speaking, is one of the biggest fears in the world. It's one of the top phobias, one or two in the world. People hate public speaking, which I always laugh about because it's like what I do for a living. Uh, so it's not, I don't register that. I'm like, what's the big deal? It's just public speaking. But people are terrified about it. People are nervous about not saying the right thing and not doing the right thing. And, and we are so in our head about our stories. But I want you to really understand, it's, you're overcomplicating this. I'm not asking you to recite the Bible. I'm not asking you to spit back my sermon. I'm not asking you to, to do a million jumping jacks. Think about what's the impact that God has made on your life. Think about, there's a couple of different testimonies. The, the moment you got saved, how did that happen? What occurred? Maybe there was a miracle that God did in your life. Maybe, you know, your, your mom was sick and you prayed and God healed her. Maybe there was a situation where, where you prayed and you really trusted God and God came through. These are all testimonies, witness, eyewitness accounts of what you experienced. And here's the beauty of it. You don't have to prove what you've witnessed. People can argue with you about it. People can say, well, that wasn't God and, and that's not God in your life. And you're like, listen, you can say what you want. I know what I know. I experienced what I experienced. And you can't argue my experience. It's mine. I'm just giving you an opportunity to have your own. But I think a lot of times one of the biggest issues with our witness is you don't know your own story. You can't articulate your own testimony. And so no wonder you don't share it. You don't know it. You haven't actually sat down and thought about what it means to have a relationship with God and what he's done in your life. You don't know this amazing story, this, this beautiful story that God has handwritten in your life. You haven't taken the time to read it yourself, so how are you going to share it? And I want you to understand, there is such unbelievable power in your story, yours specifically. And so I got a couple of guys, actually, that I wanted to have them share just briefly as an example their story. So I'm going to ask Gio if you would come up real quick. And Jesus is just going to share his testimony. He's just going to tell you what God did in his life. And I don't need applause and class. It's not about that. I, I just want you to understand that I asked him this five minutes before service started on purpose. Because I said, listen, I just want you to share your story. I don't want you to have this super prepped up, handwritten. Like, no, just share what God did in your life. Make it simple. And so I'm going to have Gio go ahead and share just five minutes on what God's done in his life. Hello, can you hear me? Cool. All right, so I was thinking about it. Um, after P. Joey told me I was going to come up here and share, I was just thinking, praying about it, of course, um, what exactly my salvation testimony looks like. Um, so I'm just going to give a little backstory, not too much. I don't have five minutes here, but um, I grew up in a family, a Puerto Rican family, pretty crazy, wild life. Um, 13 years of my life, I, I lived with my whole family. We were together. We were one. I had my mom and my dad. I woke up with my, both my parents, went to sleep with both my parents. Um, a lot of that changed for me when I was 13 years old, transitioning into my freshman year of high school. And, um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a 
a life that um, I didn't expect. I remember, and, and here's, here, not to mention, I was, I was here in my, in my sixth grade year. I, I was already at Excel at this point. I, I guess you can consider that myself saved, but I don't think I ever made that decision. I don't think I genuinely went for it. So I was thinking long and hard about this because I think um, I assumed that, like, I knew God and that I, um, and that he saved me, but I don't think I really accepted him until this point in my life. So, um, um, so I went through this, this time where my parents separated, my parents split and I completely lost it. Like I just, I, I remember night after night praying for God to bring them back together for them to feel this love again. Um, ultimately I, I realized that I was taking on their pain. I was taking on the divorce of my parents. I was taking on the separation, the fighting. I was putting that on myself. I was making myself responsible. I was trying to, I was questioning, like, what did I do wrong? Like, as a, as a kid, I was, I was just a kid. Um, and this, this brought me to a place where I, I veered away from God. I, I, I was out of Excel for a bit. I was focused on sports and all of these things. I transitioned into my freshman year of high school. Um, and there was just a lot of transitions in my life. One was the divorce of my parents, but also me going into high school. Um, but the the craziest thing was I I remember I remember one night um, that that God was just speaking to me heavily. Like I had to release this. Like I had to, I had to stop praying for my parents. It was the craziest thing in my life. Like just stop praying. Like how does, how is God going to tell me to stop praying? You know, like what does that mean? But what he was, what ultimately what he was trying to lead me to was a place of freedom, a place of, of release where I could, I could not take on this burden. I, I could not, and I could live my own life pretty much. So there was a mission that he had called on my, on my life. Um, so I, I came back to Excel eventually, and I remember talking to leaders and students about this and how free I really felt. Um, I was lost. I, I went down paths that led me to places that just put me further and further from God. But um, this was a time where, where God actually, where I felt God was truly, um, how do you say it? Where I felt saved. Like, I, I genuinely felt free. Um, so I made a decision to get baptized. Uh, again, this is my second time being baptized. I got baptized in 2012 because I saw my brother do it. I, I followed him because my brother was a, a big impact in my life. Um, I was like, man, my brother's doing it. I'm going to go do it. But this time was, was my time to declare it. Um, I got up there and I shared my testimony. Mind you, my words before in 2012 was, oh, I'm getting baptized today to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And that was it. I was like, dude, I didn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't even tell anybody about my story. I didn't even tell anybody about what God has done in my life. So this was my, t- my chance to do that. And praise God that I did. And from there, I, I'm by no means perfect, even to this day. But I remember... Um, just receiving this mission and this purpose to, um, to lead and, and be an example for not only students here at Excel. Like, this is what I'm doing right now. This is the purpose that God has called me on, but also in my family. And, and now I can share this testimony that is a current thing. This is, a, this, is a purpose that, this is the purpose that God has called on me for, since my freshman year of high school, and I'm doing that now. I'm a living testimony of what he has done in my life. And now, praise God that my mom is saved and now I'm, I'm, I'm praying and hoping that eventually my dad will go get to that point. But 
but this is this is what he was preparing me for. And this is what he was preparing my family for. That separation was necessary for um, everything that's going on now. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much a little brief um, testimony of mine from when I was lost to me being found and me living out my purpose. I went with my family to church. I sat there. I listened. I just didn't really have any sort of clarity. Um, fast forward a couple years, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And everything in me just froze. Um, I neglected him. Um, I let him think that I hate him. I separated myself from my family for the most part. Um, to the point where for years, I believed that I was the reason that he tried to commit suicide. Eventually, he lost the fight against cancer when I was 11. And in that moment, immediately I was like, God, you deal with things however you want to deal with them. I'm no longer in this. You're going to split the sea, but you can't stop cancer. You can raise the dead to life, but you can't keep someone from being dead. I don't want this. And so for years, I spiraled. And everything that I thought I wanted, I had. Friends, I had it. Girls, I had them. Arrogance, I had it. Popularity, I had it. A void that would never be filled, I had it. And for years, I had met incredible people. And what stuck out to me was the fact that one of them was always a Christian. One of them was always inviting me, trying to get me to go. And I said the same thing. No, I'm good. That's not for me. Um, that, that's cool. I'll support you from over here, but that's, that's just you. And then one day, I met a friend in high school and for a year, she just kept going, hey, you should come to church with me. No, I'm good. I got math class, even though I was failing. Hey, you should come with me. No, I'm good. I'm tired. I, I got a lot of stuff I got to work on. Okay, cool. Finally, she goes, hey, um, I'm going to be in a play at church, and no one can come support me. Can you come? Come to find out she was the most popular person in this church. But again, to me, loyalty was huge. So I was like, yeah, I'll go. And again, for years, I was just struggling. I didn't even want to show up, but I'm like, for that friend, I will. I show up, and it's a human video. And immediately something in my mind went, okay, this isn't normal church. This is actually something that's really cool. They're actually explaining things. Some of this is making sense. The drive home was really, really awkward, but I already felt something that was just stirring in me saying, okay, maybe this isn't so bad. Let me just check it out, see if it's something I want to do. I come back the next week, and I can't remember the sermon. All I can remember is P. Joey saying, if you are tired of dealing with things on your own. If you are tired of carrying that weight on your shoulders, just raise your hand and accept God. God will carry that off of you. That's not for you to carry. And I was still stubborn. I had my eyes closed because I didn't want to make eye contact because I knew that something was hurting. I didn't want to open up my eyes because I knew that something was going to tell me that's for you. And next thing I knew, I felt a hand on my shoulder and it turns out that even though I didn't want to respond in my mind, my spirit, my hand was already raised. And I remember in that moment going, God, you got one chance. You got one more at this because I honestly, I can't do another hurt like that again. I trusted you once. I'm going to give you one more shot. 
But I also had to make the decision, okay, then I need to go all in as well. I can't just be one foot in, one foot out. And so I remember God just talking to me, and he's like, you have time, put up chairs. Okay, I guess, you know, I'll help out Mark. Hey, that relationship, you're not supposed to be in it. Okay, God, that's going to hurt. But you promised, so you got to come through. I ended that relationship. And so day in and day out, I was showing up. And then everything that I needed, I finally got. A family was restored. Friends who I can actually count on, I had that. Freedom from bondage and sin. I had that humility. I had that unconditional love. I had that. And then time and time again, even now, I sit sometimes and I just start crying and I remind myself, God, my Lord and Savior, I always had that. Think about this. Your story is the key that can unlock someone else's prison. Your story is the key that can unlock someone else's prison. It's worth sharing. And every one of you has a story to tell. Every one of you has an experience, has something that God has done in a way that God has shaped that's unique to you. And we need every single one of you to be able to share that story. Being a witness is so much more than inviting your friend to excel. Because what you're doing then is you're just an Uber driver bringing them to a witness. Sometimes it takes witnessing to them in school for a year before they say yes. Sometimes it means being the big brother, the example to your little brother for them to eventually figure it out on their own. Every one of you has a role to play. Every one of you has an aspect of this mission that's yours. Every one of you is important to what God has called us to do here in this room. You want to see the room filled with friends and loved ones and people who have an experience with God like you? Then you have to share that experience with them. You have to let them know who Jesus is to you, what that life and experience is like, and give them an opportunity to decide. If they say no, it's a no. Better yet, it's a not right now. <laughs> but if they say yes, then it's been worth everything. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we get ready to close here now. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. In a second, I'm going to talk to the Christians in this room, and I'm going to pray for you. But just in case, maybe as I was talking or while Gio or Sal were sharing their testimony, you began to feel this tugging at your heart. Kind of like how they described, there's this, this thing that is whispering to you that's saying, man, that's you. He's talking to you. Don't wait for God to say your name. Don't expect me to specifically call out your name when you know that the Lord is already speaking to you. And he's saying, now is the time for you to release those burdens to me. You've heard the testimony of witnesses. Now you gotta decide if you're willing to accept it or not. So just in case there's someone here who's never made that decision, 
but you know you need to do that tonight. Don't put it off for tomorrow. That's not promised for anybody. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, all I need you to do is signal it by lifting up your hand, and, and I want to pray, and we're going to believe together that God will accept you as your Lord and Savior. Thank you. Is there anyone else? That's me, Pastor. Thank you, bro. Anyone else? That's me, Pastor. I want to know. I want to make sure that today I walk away with a relationship with God. Awesome. Let me pray for those two who raised their hand. Heavenly Father, God, you see those who have accepted you as their Lord and Savior. You see those who are willing to be open and vulnerable because they heard the testimony of a witness. And God, we thank you because we know all of heaven celebrates when even one person comes to faith in Jesus' name. And so, Father, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that they would open their hearts and confess with their mouth that they are indeed sinners in need of a Savior. God, I pray that you would wash away their sins, that you would make them whole and clean, that you would give them a fresh start beginning tonight, God, and that they would be yours and they would have the confidence of knowing they are yours and that they would be able to articulate this very moment, God, and share with someone else that needs to hear it. And in that same way, God, I pray for the believers in this room. Each and every one of them has their own story. Each and every one of them has something important to give. God, I pray that we wouldn't be hostile witnesses that have just flat out said no to what you're calling us to do. I pray that we wouldn't be witnesses that have been tampered with, that have allowed the enemy to derail the very words that you have given us that give life. I pray that we wouldn't be intimidated or embarrassed. God, that we would no longer be ashamed of the gospel, but we'd be willing to do exactly what you called us to do. God, we want to see this room filled with young people. We want to see hundreds come to know you as Lord and Savior, God. But we know that'll be impossible if it's only Pastor Joey talking. Because, God, you've given them just so powerful a voice. So, Lord, I pray, speak through them. Help them to understand and learn their story. Teach them how to articulate it and give them courage to do it when the opportunity arises. Father, we thank you. We don't understand why out of all the reasons you chose us, but we understand that we are the mission and that you've given us orders that we need to follow. We thank you for that, Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Listen, I want to leave you with this one last verse as a reminder. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, it gives us insight in how to this whole story ends. And the Bible says in Revelation 12, verse 11, and they have defeated him, meaning the enemy, the devil, by the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross, and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. You can't love your life so much that you're not willing to die to yourself just to share your story. How we're going to defeat the enemy, how we're going to overcome, how God wins at the end of the day is by the sacrifice that he made on the cross and the fact that you are willing to tell people about that sacrifice. Understand, there is an unbelievable gift and power that God has entrusted you with. What are you going to do with it? I hope you do what you need to do. God bless you. Know that I love you from the bottom of my heart. And we'll see you in small groups tomorrow. Amen.